Hello again. I'm Karina Givargasov, the founder of Mission Magazine, the first fashion philanthropic media brand, if you don't know us already. And welcome to our podcast called My Mission Is, which Charlene Spiteri, the singer-songwriter of the UK band Texas, does with me. Okay, so we thought we'd shift it away from the fashion world for a moment and bring on someone really important and someone that I greatly, greatly admire we finally get on someone that I've been watching for a while and she was actually in our last issue. So I was staring at her picture for a few months whilst we put our youth issue together. Uh, the images of her at a protest march in London for climate change last year. Charlene and I then invited this young woman from this march to be featured in the magazine to a live session at Soho Works in London at the early start of this year before everything changed. It was so good to meet this young woman in person. We talked at the event about working together and this finally happened on this podcast. I'm so impressed by her activism, especially considering her age. Our next guest is the youth co-chair of Bite Back 2030, Christina Adane, a 16-year-old Londoner. who set up the petition for free school meals over the summer holidays, which UK footballer Marcus Rashford supported. So please have a listen. She's such an incredible woman and just... We wish her so much luck in what she's about to do. She's got an exciting project coming up. So have a listen. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. It's nice to have you back in our conversations again. It feels like so, well, a lot has happened since we last saw you. So Charlene, I spoke to Christina briefly, I think three Fridays ago, four Fridays ago. And I just found what you had to say really fascinating. Also from a European standpoint of things that have gone on in the world, not just the virus, but Black Lives Matter, protests, all of that. So we've got loads of topics we want to go through. And I think we, um, when we were looking up a bit about you, we're quite shocked how incredibly young you are and what you've achieved and what you're continuing to push through and achieve. How old are you currently? I'm 16, turning 17 yes. in September. Wow. I mean, wow. because, I mean, what the listeners may not know, or they may have tuned in to when, when we had our, our actual live, um, when we when we met up at um, Soho House and mm. had a, a little moment. But I had no idea, I mean... That, that you were so young and I know that when you are young and somebody older says that to you it just seems so irrelevant but <laughs> you get older the funny thing is is you know, when I was 16 I was outspoken and I you know I thought I, I you know I was very I was very sort of like into what I was doing but when people say to you oh god you're so young and you're so confident and so everything but it really is meant as such a compliment because when we spoke that day you spoke so well and 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 so calmly about what you know you stood for as 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 a woman and as as a human being and in all the all the fronts that you believed in um and that you want to make a better world for us all to live in so you know when we say you're so young please take it on an, as an absolute compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> Very humbling. Obviously, we discovered you in the magazine through Ophelia's Pictures, mm -hmm. um, which is how we all got connected. And I'm 49 years old. It's only the last couple of years that I've become really kind of, I suppose, um, I don't want to say activist because I'm not, but interested in that sphere and social justices and injustices 
and I'm twice your age. So it's it's fantastic to just see that the next, and we talked about this uh, months ago, that, that the next generation, your generation, are the ones that are going to make the change. Um, and I think what I found was really incredible that we were discovering, doing some research on what you've been up to lately you've started an incredible organization called change.org petition where you've called on the prime minister boris johnson to support free schools free school meals rather and i just wanted to to explain to our listeners how that happened what is what kind of kicked that off for you to really put that into gear and to approach uh, the prime minister so um obviously it was during lockdown it was the seventh week i think and the government had been providing um, free school meal provisions for like, you know, families and kids during the term um, date. But then May half term came along and they just decided to stop, which was extremely shocking to me and everyone else at Bikeback because why would you stop giving free school meal provisions during, you know, families most dire times, like loads of people, you know, that unemployed they don't have a lot of money coming in and you know taking care of kids 24 7 when usually you know they have clubs and they have school like it's it's immense pressure for families that don't have a lot so i decided to um start that petition um to cover free school meal provisions for the government to cover free school meal provisions over the uh holidays and it's gotten over 270,000 signatures now which is incredible. Um, Amazing, well done. Yeah, thank you. Do you think that um, the attention that, well, obviously like Marcus Rashford um, had got the change coming in, that the, the agreement did a, the, the, the government did a U-turn on it. Do you think that was a massive help? Honestly, it was. It was incredible um, to see a celebrity finally stand up for something that was good. Um, I've said this before and it's about like I find it so crazy how celebrities think that human problems are political. Well I think it was really interesting because funnily enough um, actually Karina and I were having a conversation just before we actually um, came to speak to you talking about um, people standing up for something, um, something that on the outside to everybody else that they believe in but then when something else is tied to it like um some big advertising campaign or something else then we're getting a lot of money paid a lot of money to front it um and it's been you know there's been a few eye-openers um during our time doing these podcasts and obviously Karina doing Mission Magazine and um they didn't it seemed that you know just Marcus Rashford's story and how he told it and how he spoke so eloquently and it seemed very real and it, it was amazing to see a celebrity and you know a sports person who's obviously grown to be a strong successful man um and his but to speak so um honestly and and caringly about it with with no ulterior motive yeah, um, and it, it was so important with this campaign as well because a lot of people are ashamed um, to be on free school meals, to, you know, um, take handouts and to have someone as influential as him, um, you know, speak out and say, well, you know what, I I had to, yeah, like I had to use these um, provisions and 
there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's so powerful. And she really did something amazing for so many young kids across the UK. Yeah, especially when you see, I think for for the message for young children as well, well, any, you know, teenagers, anybody, and especially boys, because, you know, boys mm. a lot find it a lot more difficult to um, kind of, they, they're, they're more conscious about fitting in rather in the stranger way that girls are. Um, but um, I just think that to see him become such a successful sportsman and um, be strong and fit and in see how he's come out the other side of that I think was a definitely a very very important message for both boys and girls 100 percent um as you said like he's in the sports world he's playing football and the fact that you know he's been he's been able to show that like growing up on free school meals some like getting that opportunity to have healthy food nutritious food like that will no matter what you get into, help you. And it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something that can nurture you. So yeah, 100. I think that's something you said when we met you and, and we were talking about this at the, at, all around the table, that how important it is to have nutrition when you're growing mm. up and when you're at school and the benefits of that and having a, and a, a good, healthy meal and how that can really help you just to grow up. And it's something that I, I was shocked, I think, when... Um, Lauren Bush Lauren first made me aware of her feed organization and, and the lack of meals in the school and in New York City. And then, Christina, you put it on my attention in, in England that that's it's equally a problem here, which I'm just I'm shocked at in 2020. I'm going to, I'm going to butt in with you in your England thing. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I've done it again. And Christina was there on that other one as well, yep. weren't you, when I did it? Scotland, Ireland and Wales have a massive problem with it as well. So the United Kingdom mm. was one. No, I know. Do you know, I'm just not used to saying that because I've been in America for so long. <laughs> yeah. And they normally say Europe when they band all the, they band us all together. I'm yeah. so sorry. Gosh. The thing is, Scotland is surprisingly better than the rest of us when it comes to um, providing for, you know, the younger generation in terms of nutrition. And so a lot of um, nutritionists and professors are calling for the English government to sort of follow the, the example that Scotland has given in terms of that. But um, in London alone, there's 400,000 children living in poverty. And I think it's 32 or 37% of them are black. And so there's, it's not only a sort of poverty problem it's also a racial inequality problem and I just find it crazy like how it's so hard to sort of think that in a democratic country in the sixth richest economy in the world we've got these kinds of problems yes I I definitely I think that um shame that has been put on so many of us recently with Black Lives Matters as well when you actually do stop and think that to be born into the world and be judged instantly on the colour of your skin and be put in a certain category because of that and live your complete life in that way, I think is just, for me, has been such a wake-up call and has been such a shock to think that that is how you start your life and how a lot of your life continues to be continuously judged because of the, the color of your skin and be put into a certain, you know, expected to do certain things within your life and be a certain person within your life just mm. because of that has, has really 
yeah, has been a, has been a massive wake up call to a lot of us, and I and I hope that it's not just been a wake up call that's just made us all conscious of it. I I hope that that the Black Lives Matter movement continues to change completely, change um, life for you know for um, the Black community with throughout the world. I really hope it does. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that the struggle in the UK is sometimes sort of overwhelmed with what's happening in the US like the only times we talk about racism here in the UK is when there's um, a murder that happens you know police brutality in the US and of course like we should be talking about that but I think a lot of stuff goes unnoticed when it comes to our own institutions and like the way that black people are treated in the UK um I see individual racism, for example, as something that, I mean, every black person has to deal with that. That's like normal, right? But systemic racism, like you can ask, you know, a black African in this country about their history and they won't, they they probably, 90% of them won't know anything before slavery because of the way the education system has taught us black lives started when they came to Europe or America. So like, there's so much that needs to um, be changed institutionally. You know, it's extraordinary what we learn historically at school. And, you know, you know, you're taught, you go so far back and to, mm. when, when you suddenly, when, the, when there's a, when it's pointed out and there's a highlight put on it, suddenly you think, yeah, why, why are we not, you know, why were, were we never taught that? Why is that not part of history? Because it's, it's, it's one of the most important parts of history that exists. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's, it's like, I'm working on something now with um, like-minded young people. So it's like another campaign and we just want to, we want to like topple the system essentially, because it is crazy. Like when we talk about our experiences and like, things that we've heard mm-hmm. just just from like even going out to protest like my friend got punched in the face even though it was a peaceful protest and then he got arrested um for assaulting a police officer which is crazy right and things like that it's just allowed to happen um and it's really scary I think especially knowing that like if I go into a workplace something as simple as my name can mean that I have a um disadvantage to my white counterparts your friend that got punched in the face what did he get punched by a police officer yeah he got punched by a police officer and his sister she had asthma and she was thrown to the ground and like had um pressure put on her neck and they were both like it was everyone knows that that was a peaceful protest there was nothing going on but it's because they were at the front lines of it and they got targeted which is it's crazy yeah it is i mean i had an experience six months ago maybe maybe a bit longer my my daughter's um, one of her friends, male, um, black youngster, who literally came to the gate and and I opened the gate. I was in the house and I opened the the gate. It's an electric gate. Opened the gate, and he slipped. Mm. He kind of slipped in really quickly, like before the whole gate had opened. And I was at the front door, opened, and I was like, "Hey, Kajon, how are you?" Came in, and mm. um, my daughter and her friends they're all downstairs and they're all hanging out. And they were all sitting in the garden. And the next minute, the kids all came jumping upstairs. And they're like, oh, my God, there's people, there's police. And then my doorbell and the, the front door gets knocked. And I open the door and the police are there. And I was like, yeah. And they went, um, someone just came in your gate. And you know what? I was 
you know, sometimes you're so shocked when someone tells you something. But I was incensed instantly for, thank God, once in my life, I literally went, you mean a young black man came in my gate? Is that what you want? Is that really what you've never... Oh, no, we just saw someone with a hood up coming in the gate. And I went, you saw a young black boy coming in my gate. He's my Mm. daughter's friend and he is here and this is my house. And yeah, I let him in. I was like, shame on you. Shame on you. And, you know, and it is... That must just be such a horrible, difficult, you know, situation to just, I, I, you know, I, I don't know why it's taken so long to come to this. Mm. And I think that the conversation is so much larger than like police brutality. Like someone, like if a young black man is wearing a tracksuit, that immediately sort of means he's a criminal in London, which is insane. Um, I live in South London and I'm scared that, you know, my brother is is going to grow up in that sort of environment where he's just attacked and sort of criminalized for no reason. And it, it's crazy that I have to think about these things. And even when I'm sort of preparing for like media talks and interviews and stuff like that, like I have to go over like what I say and I have to sort of double check you know, the words I use to not come across as an angry black woman. And there are so, so many things where it's like, we have to refrain from saying, doing, acting a certain way in the public eye because we know how it will come across, which is just, it's insane. But I hope, I really do hope, because I feel like my generation, um, we've been exposed to a lot of things quite early on. And as much as, as it is kind of hard, I think it's good because we are the ones that can make change and we are the ones that can come together and sort of be like, why isn't this happening? And why, why, why is that happening? And sort of come together rather than having one leader, sort of just a horizontal line of people that just care and want to make change. I think like the amount of people I've met through activism that care about the things that I do and are so powerful and so unique and just so beautifully spoken I just I'm really excited for the future and I really think a lot is going to change with our generation that's great for you to say that you're excited about your future that that really lifts my heart well it has to be I mean when you when you look at what that um as a, a great example of Greta Thunberg of what what she started because how she passionately cared about the environment and 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 made the what was it the Fridays not going to school and that's one young person's enthusiasm and passion and drive to instill mm. a change and when you look at what happened to that poor guy George Floyd around around America the UK Europe it's had a, a huge impact that I hope that that is it does instill change because that has to happen and um it's in it kind of you guys are leading this Christina you you know your generation it's, it's what is making the older generation sit up and think and giving us an education as well I think mm-hmm. but also it's it's you guys have more you know we have Instagram now there's mobile devices so you have access to the news straight away as before it was mm-hmm. everything wasn't recorded or as I saw um I read in the news I think it was last week that Siri have there's an app or I think you record something and it says I've been pulled over by the police and it kicks in Siri 
straight away to record and video. So if you right. are, yeah, that's it, it's something it's like, I've been, yeah, I've been pulled over by the police. I think you have to say one sentence mm. and it kicks it in. And it's just, it's horrific when you think that that's something that, you know, this was supposed to be people that protect you and, and yeah. look out for you. And yet you're having to say that now. It's kind of gone the complete opposite way. And um, when I saw what happened, kind of the protests in, in New York City, most of my team that there still went out on these protests. And you're looking at the footage and I couldn't help but look at the police cars that say, um, was it CPR? And along the side, it says courtesy, professionalism, respect. It's incredible, yeah. And that's branded on all of them. And crazy. it's, it's, it's um, I don't even know what to say, to be honest with you. It leaves me yeah. kind of speechless on how, as a white person, I don't know what it's like to have to grow mm-hmm. up in and in, in being stopped. And I think it's, it's in a massive education for all of us to just sit and listen sit and listen and watch what's happening and take stock and i think to try and make change yeah yeah in an educational way in a calm educational way (laughs) um there's there's the whole social media um movement around black lives matter and there are people sort of calling out other people telling them to sort of you know why aren't you posting why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing that and i'm kind of um anti that because there's we're showing our pain right we're showing our grief Mm. and we're using our platforms to educate and to make people sort of understand where we're coming from if people don't sort of willingly empathize with us and want to learn and want to understand and want to help us then we don't need that sort of performance that's not the person you want yeah exactly exactly and that's why i feel like it has to be genuine like yes yeah it, it the whole movement has to be like empathy needs to come back first of all like I feel like empathy has been gone for so long people have just become <laughs> so desensitized they don't care about things they're all in their own little bubbles but our bubbles just keep popping they just keep popping mm-hmm. because yeah. so many like bad things are happening in the world so I definitely think that with the Black Lives Matter movement, the only way we can um, reach people is if they care and we sort of get them to care, but not in a forceful way, just just mm. sort of speak our truth. Yeah, because if it's forced, then you're not, they're not going to be committed for the mm. long haul. Yeah, mm. exactly. We've got, this has got to change forever. You know, that's the thing is it's, it's so important that, that, that this um, changes forever and that we never go back to the way things are um it's just so important that yeah people people really 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 do it's not about it's not even about you shouldn't even have to think about it it should just be the way it is yeah because i don't think people realize the sort of extent of their privilege in terms of people can sort of on social media repost and stuff like that and i'm not saying you know social media activism is bad it's definitely good in, in terms of raising awareness and stuff like that but then they think that's enough. But when they go into the workplace and if we actually do achieve equality or we are properly pushing for you know black rights in the workplace and schools and stuff like that, and then their privilege sort of, they start to lose it. I think that's when the real truth and the real conversations will come out because 
people will realize like wait I had this and this and this because of the color of my skin now that's gone like how do I feel about that and do you know what I mean like I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the place we need to be at and we're not there yet I feel like people just use privilege as a very light word and don't actually realize what it means what what it actually is yeah exactly Mm -hmm. You know, it really is. I mean, I, I'm in the music industry, and when um there was the when when the um the the Tuesday that it shut down when everybody put up the the Black Lives Matter, um and there was supposed to be a music shutdown, I said to Karina, I says I was really shocked, and I actually spoke out about it and um um to my record company and to different people. I was surprised. I thought when I felt that when the music industry had the shutdown, and you know, it's one day I was like. I thought the no one, the radio stations, I thought everything would shut down. I just thought you'd hear no music. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would have been such a powerful thing because I really thought that was what, I don't know why, in my own little world in my head, I thought that that's, well, that's what it means. That's what should happen. And mm-hmm. and I was really shocked that it didn't, that it just became just a post that everybody put up. And I was alongside mm-hmm. those people that posted. And I was, I felt, I felt very ashamed. Mm-hmm it's when it comes to the music industry that's a whole other like gets me so irate (laughs) because it's like mm, so so many black artists are owned by um you know labels that mistreat them white like white owned labels and say we support an artist a black artist that we know and love the money doesn't even go to them and um, it's interesting you, listening to you two talking about that it goes back to Christina when you first said we talked about um, the petition that you did for the school meals and you said finally a celebrity stood up and I, I have to say it's the same with this Black Lives movement is it me or has there been a lot of um, artists in different entertainment industries that I feel could have made much more of a stance um, and really pushed behind this and I don't know if, if what it is um if it's image control or there's that fear of damaging their followers or in, I don't know what that block is because that's that's something that I like to pick on when it comes to my generation the fact that wealth is only seen as a material thing and not you know wealth in mind like emancipation of the mind and sort of wealth in you know your health and like your family and things like that I think that that's definitely like a really important note yeah we have to be honest in terms of there is a um a cultural sort of desire for black liberation but when it really comes to it people don't actually want that we love black culture we don't really embrace the people right um and it is damaging like being honest it is damaging to someone if you speak out about um you know black liberation i think um i myself have been in situations i do regret now where i could have spoken out about things but i knew that it so okay colorism is a problem in uh, the black community um for those that don't know colorism essentially essentially is um lighter skinned uh women mostly being 
admired over darker skinned women just because they're closer to the European um, standard of beauty. And there have been situations where I've sort of stayed silent where I know I could have spoken out and, you know, um, used my privilege as a light skinned woman to say something or to, you know, give someone else a fair chance. And I haven't. And that is something I regret. And I, I can understand why, you know, artists and musicians might be afraid, but it really is like the time to speak out now. Like it's going to happen whether they're on board or not. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And if they're not on board, they're the ones missing out because the the black, obviously I'm not a massive, massive um, fan of black capitalism, but it is there and it is strong. Like consumers, yeah, like if we don't want to listen to you, we can boycott and we are going to boycott. Boycott is coming back. So. I mean, also, I mean, I was my my um, friend, um, a friend of mine who's Indian. Um, I she told me years ago, and um, I remember having a conversation with her, and she went, "Oh no, I'm not light enough." And I was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, you know, depending on you know, you know, depending on the the, the shade of. It, I was like, "Tell me you're joking here. Tell me that's not a thing." And she was like, "No, it's absolutely a thing." She went, "That's one hundred. Yeah, it's really bad." And I. Was, shocked when she told me that I was so shocked when yes. she told me I was literally like that can't be and she was like no absolutely she went yeah and we were talking with somebody that we knew that's very light-skinned um and she says yeah but she's seen as you know she's better than me she's up the the scale because I would be seen as you know lower class I'm way lower class because of the color of my skin I was like I was like holy mother of god mm-hmm. I can't I, so t- yeah, they've got they've got caste systems in India where it's like the the upper castes are like the the higher up you go in the caste system, the lighter they are, and the absolute lower caste, like the the darkest skinned people, are literally treated like vermin. Like I can't even begin to explain to you how like disgusting it is when you see how they're treated. Like they'll literally be picking people's like leftovers from the floor and eating it and in rags and it's just horrible to think that someone's skin tone can literally determine their life and they can't get out of that like you read that in the papers a lot an awful lot in india about the caste system Mm. of how Mm. women are treated and it just it appalls me um and i think what my point was i was going to say that i'd forgotten about um earlier was that you were talking about how you felt you you regretted not speaking up before but I think that also comes with age to have that confidence to speak up and you know as as we said earlier you're you're so young but achieving so much I hope that celebrities from different entertainment industries see this as an amazing opportunity for people to really come together communities around the world to come together in music film celebrities and i hope they do do that and just just in just in general as well i mean i really think people need to come together and change we need to change everybody needs to change we need to change everything i think what i want to go back to um bring this back to your initiative before that you co-chair bite back how did that happen christina how did you get involved with that was that something that you heard of through friends or peers or was something that you just saw somewhere on the internet how did that come about 
yeah, so um, it was last summer and it was actually about, I think it's almost mm. a year now. And um, I was doing work experience at a um, at an NGO called Debate Mate. They empower young people um, from disadvantaged um, backgrounds to sort of speak out, giving them communication skills and, you know, teaching them how to debate and stuff. So I was working there at the head office and one of the bosses there came to um, me and some other um, colleagues and were like, guys, you should try out for this. Like, this is amazing. Like, you know, about um health and you know improving young people's health blah, blah, blah. but it was really vague like I didn't like we didn't really pay much attention to it mm-hmm. um but I was looking into it and I got really interested because obviously I was um I was a climate activist then and I was looking at how I could improve my mm-hmm. health um and eat cleaner so I had turned pescatarian around that time as well mm-hmm. so health was something I was really looking into I was watching those like horrifying documentaries like yes, Cowspiracy yes, if you've seen yes. it and yeah so um yeah I yeah I applied I didn't think it would you know go anywhere I just did it mindlessly and I got in and then um I went to the like training day it was really cool like I loved mm. everyone there everyone was so positive and forward-looking and the fact that young people were taking charge of a movement was really exciting to me so I applied again to be chair and then, yeah, I got that. Incredible. Incredible. Now that comes from after, because um, I think the images we have of you in the youth issue were the protest march in March, I think it was, in London? February. In February. February yeah. So had that kind of sparked yeah. um, interest in you to kind of be more involved and be more active? Was that the first time you'd kind of want, were interested in working with an NGO? Um, I thing is, I've always had a vision of like working at like the mm-hmm. UN or like, um, you know, WHO or something like that. Um, and I think helping because actually, no, 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 I'm doing this wrong. It started when I was 12 years old, and I think it was the Ebola crisis in 2014. Um, and I was obviously incredibly like shocked by what was happening. Um, I woke up one day, um, a school day, and my mom was crying in the living room. Um, and obviously I saw the news, I saw what was happening. I was horrified. Like this is like probably the biggest wake up call I have had like ever um, in terms of what's going on in the world. And I just felt like I had to do something. So I went to my school and I was like, I wanna, I wanna do a pajama day where people come in school in their pajamas mm-hmm. and they donate one pound and we'll also hold a competition to um <laughs> to make like the biggest cupcakes or whatever and I raised 700 over 700 pounds that day and then that was when I was like so I went to Action Aid I gave them the money and wow. they gave me a certificate being like thank you so much blah, blah, blah. and I think that was the first time I was like yeah like this is something I like doing yeah (laughs) is that is that something that's in your in your family do your parents do things like this or you just it's just come completely just you my mum is a very giving person um my grandma's also a very giving person they never had much Mm -hmm. but it was a thing where even when when they were at their most like desperate times they were still giving um 
you know, my mum would tell me stories about when she was younger and um, back home in like Ethiopia, like they lived in the slums. So they would have like one meal, um, like one hot meal in the night. And then the, the neighbors and everyone that didn't have like food to eat, they would like all share that one hot meal. And there were times, you know, like that, that kind of sharing thing, I think is so like, that it's so common and normal in Africa and obviously me coming here I kind of I'm just embodying that I guess what age did you come to England so I was actually born in Amsterdam because my mom lived in Amsterdam for a bit before here and then I came to England when I was like six I think incredible gosh I I, I can absolutely see you working at the UN Christina yeah, I look, I look forward to when, when you are literally um, running a country. Um, and we can say, we we spoke to her when she was 16. <laughs> 16 yeah, no, it's, but it's that, I mean, that pure vision that you have and that drive that will make the difference. But also just, you know, you seem that you have just such a good heart and such, such a lot of love and care to give, which is, you know, just it's just amazing it's amazing to see such a a pure human being given everything they have to to make make things for other people before we wrap this up christine what 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 else are you up to you said you started that other initiative what's what are you up to like the next month what is on the the calendar what do you feel that you need to you you've got planned so what's currently taking up like 90 percent of my time because i'm sure you're up to something (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. London BLM, which is uh, a sort of, well, obviously it's London BLM. <laughs> um, we're transitioning it into uh, a Black liberation movement called right. TNA, Tribe Named Athari. Athari means impact in Swahili, and it's going to be, honestly, it's youth-led. I'm so excited. Like, everyone there is so amazing, and we're working, like, round the clock sort of launch our vision and um yeah we're gonna have it's gonna be a it's gonna be a massive movement I'm so sure of it and we're gonna we're gonna finally finally properly start the black liberation movement in the UK that's incredible that's incredible when you're looking to launch this in a month's time hopefully yeah maybe sooner will you keep us posted we will support you in that I mean just I think, you know, I said this to you, we talked after we did the thing in, in London in March that I think you're, not, you're a remarkable woman and you really stand out as being so. And yeah, Charlene and I want to help and support your initiatives and what you're doing, Christine. And I just think it's, we said this to a lot of our guests because they seem to be similar in the sense that they've got empathy and they want to make a difference and, have a ch- and change the world. Um, and we'd love to have mm. you back as well when you have more things going on um and just and keep i guess keep in contact through our podcasts on your journey on what you're achieving i think would be brilliant 100 thank you this is like my first podcast and i was talking with a friend about starting one too so it's like great experience for me as well thank you for the opportunity you're wonderful to talk to and just such an interesting person and yeah and keep on doing what you're doing keep on doing what you're doing you're going to break through you too you too yes Yes. we will we will um 
Brilliant. Oh, Christine, I'm so, so proud to know you. I think you're an amazing woman. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to Christina. They say the youth are the next leaders. That will fix all these problems past generations have made. Well, to me, she's a front runner here in addressing all of this. Christina Adani is someone I am proud to know. Our next guest is someone that I've also admired for a while. She has quite an interesting job, it would seem to some. Charlene and I loved hearing all about the ins and outs of her career trajectory. Our next guest up is Anita Bitten, a casting director based in New York who has worked with the likes of Alexander Wang to Mark Jacobs. I mean, you can't get much higher than that, can you really? We'll discuss how she got started and how she ended up leaving the UK to moving to New York. That's it for now. I hope you enjoyed listening and I hope you carry on listening. Take care. And oh, and one little exciting bit of information. We have our next issue coming out soon. So I hope you support us there and get to look at this incredible issue number four, which the theme is LGBTQIA+. So keep an eye. It's a whopper. All the best, everyone. Bye-bye now.